Jamie Summers from Afternoons with Heart and Humor. Something you may not know about me is I'm really conscious of what I put in my body. So I eat healthy, try to stay as active as possible. That's also why I was so excited when I heard that Dr. Kellum at the Kellum Stem Cell Institute is able to retrieve my own stem cells and place them exactly where I need them most with focused infusions. If you're ready for something more effective and a healthier way to heal, get more information at KellumStemCellInstitute.com. I'm Doug with an opportunity to catch up with John Greco, who has served as the editor of the He Reads Truth Bible and the New Testament theological editor for the NIV Cultural Backgrounds Study Bible, an author of several books, including The Promise of Christmas, Gospel Here and Now, and the book we're going to talk about today, The Ascent, A Devotional Adventure Through the Book of Psalms. John, thanks for making time. Hey, thanks for having me. It's really great to meet you, Doug. Well, first of all, I have to say, holding the book in my hand, it's just, it's beautiful. It's its its well done. It feels like something that I'm just ready to dive right into, and then to deal with something so beloved as the Psalms. Uh, what was the inspiration for, for breaking down Psalms? Yeah, um, yeah, I will tell you that in a second, but I do want to, you mentioned the book, and I want to just, I want to, I, I just want to say, I've done like, you know, ton of these radio podcast interviews and things over the past few weeks, and everybody mentions that, how beautiful the book is. And I always kind of like skip past that and get right into my spiel. And I just want to say, you know, the folks at Broad Street did an amazing job with this. I didn't, you know, I, I kind of gave them some ideas of what I might, might like the book to, to look like and feel like, and they just blew me away. I've never, I've never held a book like this before. And so I just, you know, I just want to kind of give them a, a shout out. This is really, really well done. Um, but the that's the inspiration for the book. So um, I am kind of a Bible nerd. I'm a writer. I've just kind of lived in this space where I, you know, just soak in scripture and write about it, which is super fun and it's it's great work if you can get it. Um, but uh, I, you know, I, I've never really, you know, explored the Psalms in depth. You know, the Psalms are even songs, right? They're poetry. It's not it's not a narrative that kind of draws you in. It's not um, you know a letter you know from Paul that you have to that you can um, you know. Uh, you know, dissect and pull apart and get, you know, pull truth from, it is, they're, they're, they're songs. And so, um, but in the summer of 2020, when the world was kind of falling apart, um, you know, like many people, I suddenly found myself without a morning commute. And so I decided, you know, I'm going to take this time back. I'm going to give it to the Lord. I'm going to spend time in my Bible, just, you know, me and him. And I, I found myself going to the Psalms because of what was going on in the world. I just, you know, there was this fear and anxiety and what, what's going on, uh, Lord. And I knew that, you know, David and others had, you know, questions for God. And, they, you know, the book is just filled with raw emotion. So that's what kind of drew me there initially. And um, but when I started reading, um, I started discovering kind of that I, I, I was finding myself flipping back and forth you know, throughout my Bible, it'd be going to Genesis and then one of the Gospels and Revelation. And, and, and I was, and I, you know, I realized that the Psalms, you know, were inviting me into this kind of study of all of redemption history. Um, because, you know, the, the writers of the Psalms, David especially, but, but all of them, were writing, you know, from their point in time, looking back, right, looking back on Israel's history. Uh, and they were also looking forward to God fulfilling His promises. And so, you know, the Holy Spirit is overseeing this whole process. And so I shouldn't have been expected to, uh, surprised to find it, but, but I was. I was surprised to find, you know, what I would call the, the fingerprints of the Holy Spirit kind of there on every page, um, just inviting me into this deeper study. So, yes, those raw emotions were there. Yes, the Psalms gave kind of words to the feelings I had. But I just found myself, you know, 
praising God for his goodness because you're seeing this whole redemptive arc play out. Um, and it just kept drawing me into, wow, he is good. He knows the end from the beginning. And the scriptures, this gift that he has given us, is just so rich. And so I started writing. I just started taking notes for myself initially, and then those notes became, you know, kind of rough blog posts with a, you know, encouraging devotional flavor. And, you know, as people were reading, they kept encouraging me. I said, where can I get this? I want to share this with somebody. And so uh, out of that, you know, I decided, let's turn this into a book. And so that's, that's where it came from. Well, so beloved is the Psalms. I know so many people have challenges at times, you know, the whole read the Bible through from beginning to end, and you get hung up in the Old Testament books sometimes. But I know many people that just, you know, read a Psalm a day or a chapter of Proverbs a day is kind of their thing. So um, I'm intrigued by this being a tool for people to find their favorite Psalm, find what you have to say about it in the book, and and go a little bit deeper. So thank you for giving us that uh, opportunity uh, to broaden our own understanding of our favorite psalms. Yeah, no, it, it really is. You know, and I, and I, like, I don't want to, I don't want to disparage anybody who goes to the, the book of Psalms and, and reads the Psalm a day just, just for encouragement, and they're not, they're not digging in deep. That's totally fine, right? And that's, that's part of why we have the scriptures. Is God meets us where we are. Um, but I just, you know, as somebody who kind of lives in the devotional world, um, finding a devotional that will help you um, dig in and really kind of plumb the depths of Scripture. You know, what was the historical context here, and, and what, what are these? You know, what is the significance of these these Hebrew words that were chosen, and that kind of stuff? I, I do that a little bit in here, and so it's it's sort of a devotional for people who, you know, um, want to go just just a bit deeper. We'll talk a little bit about your personal psalm. So, did you enter this with some personal favorites, and then did you have some new revelations related to that? Yeah, I mean, you know, I always, you know, I'm I'm one of those people that, um, you know, I'm I'm kind of a, a classic answer guy. Like, with Psalm 23 has always been my favorite psalm. It's the one that that I would you know, continually go back to. Um, and then this time, you know, when I was reading through, the thing that struck me most, and I don't know why, I mean, I wouldn't say I hadn't noticed it before, but for some reason, as I was writing, um, this really jumped out at me. It's just that. You know, it's such a personal psalm, right? It's you think about, you know, if you think about sheep, right? You never, you never rarely see a sheep alone, and if you do, the sheep's in trouble, right? So sheep usually are in this flock, and yet in this psalm, it's the Lord is my shepherd, not our shepherd, my shepherd, right? He leads me beside quiet waters, right? He he leads me to green pastures, and it just got me thinking about, you know. I don't want to, you know, I don't disparage the church. I don't disparage community. I'm, you know, I'm not one of those guys that just, hey, it's me and Jesus and no one else. <laughs> but I want, but I just, I, I was struck by the fact that, you know, God does, does love, love us, you know, as a community, but he also loves us individually. Our relationship um, with our Heavenly Father is, is as if we were the only person that existed. It's as if it was just, you know, us and him. And so, like, I just, you know, the personal nature of that, and, and we, we, I think, as humans, just kind of find that hard to believe, because we don't have that capacity, right? Like, you know, we, we get into a group of people, and we kind of have to divide our time, and, you know, there's certain people that I kind of have an affinity toward, and other people that I find hard to connect with, and, you know, it's natural, but, but not, with, not with God, right? He connects to each of us so personally and so deeply and so intimately that it's if we were, it's, it's if we were the only other person in the world. Um, and so I just, you know, as I read that psalm, just that personal nature just kept pulling at me. Um, anyway, so it was super encouraging. 
Um, but I also, like, as I was going through this, there were songs that I had never really given much of a thought to, or maybe I knew, you know, one of the, the popular verses that gets pulled out and put on, put on inspirational mugs and stuff, <laughs> but I didn't really dive into it all that deep. Um, and I was kind of surprised by some of those. Uh, so I'll give you an example of that. Uh, Psalm 34. Um, and if you know Psalm 34, Psalm 34, 18 is the, is the verse where it says God, God is near to the broken hearted, right? Which you know, I love that verse. If somebody would have asked me, you know, for my favorite verses in the Bible, that would have been my top 10. Um, but I, you know, I didn't really think much else about the rest of the song. And, uh, as I started digging in, you know, I, I discovered, you know, there's this historical context in which it was written. And thankfully, this is one of the Psalms where it's just given to us, right? It says, the title of the psalm says, Of David, when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he left. And if you go back in your Bible, you'll find that story in First uh, Samuel 21. And what, what happens is, you know, Saul is hunting David. It was long before David was king. And Saul is hunting him, trying to kill David. Um, and so David, being the smart guy he is, goes, well, I'm not finding a place to, to hide in Israel. David's got his men everywhere, so I'm going to leave Israel. And so he goes to uh, the land of the Philistines, and he goes to, of all places, Gath, the hometown of Goliath. So you, you can say a lot about David, but he's got chutzpah, right? He goes <laughs> right into the belly of the beast. And uh, while he's there, you know, people start to figure out who he is. You know, the words start spreading that, oh, David, the guy who killed Goliath, he's here. And so David now is experience for his life again, and he decides, well, I'm going to I'm going to pretend to be crazy. I'm going to be insane. I'll start frothing at the mouth, banging on the gates, and, and just kind of put on this public display that I'm out of my mind. Because, you know, there's no honor in killing a, a crazy person. There's no honor in killing, killing someone who's mentally disturbed. And so he does that, and God rescues him, and he is able to leave. And then that, out of that comes this psalm. And David is praising God for his faithfulness, right, and his rescue of him. But um, as I was reading, you know, there's this line in here that just kind of caught my eye. It's verses 19 and 20. It says, the righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. And that just sounded so strange to me because I'm thinking in you know, my 21st century mind, like, what's the big deal if you've broken a toe on the way out of town? Like, why is that, why is that the litmus test for God's faithfulness, right, is if you don't break any bones? And I, and I realized that, you know, if you were an ancient Israelite hearing these words um, you know, spoken or sung, you would have immediately thought of that Passover lamb from the Exodus story. Because God commanded the Israelites, you know, don't break any of its bones. Um, and that Passover lamb, you know, they, they killed it and they ate, ate it for that Passover meal and then spread the blood on their door frames so that God would know which homes belonged to his people. And that, that lamb became the symbol of the righteousness that um, those Israelites didn't have. You know, the only thing that separated them from the Egyptians was that blood. Right, and so this, this lamb is a symbol of righteousness. But then, fast forward, right to the time of Christ, and Jesus is that lamb. And Jesus is the lamb who his bones weren't broken. You know, it says in the Gospels that when he was on the cross, and you know, they came time to pull the bodies down, they were breaking the legs of the the, the, the people being crucified. Um, you know, put them out of misery, and they got to Jesus, and they're already dead, so they didn't break his legs. And that's this picture. He is that Passover lamb. He is this the sinless the sinless um, substitute that we can take refuge in. And so here, I don't think David realizes this, but he's you know, prophetically pointing forward to Jesus. And then not only is Jesus, but what do we get when we come to Christ? We get his righteousness. So we become that unbroken lamb. And they rightly say, 
You know, the, the Lord delivers the righteous from all their troubles. He protects all his bones. That's how God sees us. We are unbroken now. And so you know, I'm reading this one psalm that, you know, beforehand I kind of knew this one verse from that I pulled out of context, and then it just opened up the Scriptures. I'm going back into First Samuel. I'm looking ahead to the Gospel. I'm understanding, you know, my place, my identity in Christ. And it's just this rich treasure trove, and I'm going, thank you, Holy Spirit you know, for inspiring these words, because they are just speaking to my soul, and hopefully to the other people who kind of make these connections as well. That's beautiful, John. That's beautiful. Sharper than any two-edged sword. I mean, living and breathing, just coming alive there. We talk about David a lot of times as uh, attributed to many of the Psalms, but what do we know about Psalms not written by David? That's a great question. So, you know, it's kind of a mixed bag. Sometimes we just don't know who wrote it. It's, It's anonymous, and you know, with those, there's a few cases where the New Testament will kind of fill in that detail. They'll tell us it was David. Um, but then there's other places where we just don't know, or there's, you know, other people that we don't know a lot about. And then you know, there's the occasional, you know, famous writer. We've got, you know, uh, Psalm 90 from Moses, and we've got a couple from, from Solomon. Um, and so we can, you know, when, when we have those details, we can put piece it together. Um, but, you know, it's sort of, when you read the Psalms, I always kind of go, well, Nothing in the Bible is by accident. Right? The Holy Spirit is overseeing this whole process of, of inspiration and, and transmission and, and even editing and, and passing it down to us today. And so just as there are no, you know, you know, no pointless words in Scripture, there's also no detail missing that you know, really is missing. Right? If it's not there, we don't need it. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times we are given a psalm, and you know, it'll be by somebody that we, we don't know much about, right? Asaph, or the sons of Korah, or one of these, one of these writers attributed to the, you know, the that are, they were given, but, you know, it's okay. The words they're speaking are still true. They're still coming down to us from, from God. They're still inspired, and they still can speak to us today. Um, I always like to say, you know, the Scriptures weren't written to us, but they were written for us. And so for me, whenever I come to a passage, especially if I don't know a lot about it, um, I will try to put on uh, a lens to look at the, the, the text through you know, the way an ancient person might have, right? So I go, well, what, is, what do I know about Israel's history up to this point? What would jump out at this person, you know, if you're reading about, about Eden or about um, you know, God's faithfulness? You know, what, would, what, would, what would be those things that would be the, the connecting tissue that would automatically have sprung up in their minds to make sense of what's being written here? And then I also just kind of go like, but I also know this isn't just some ordinary book written by ancient people. This is this is a divinely inspired book, so I should not be surprised to see it filled with Easter eggs, right? I should see Jesus. I should see God's promises fulfilled and, and hinted at and echoed and, and all these beautiful things. And, and, you know, and sure enough, they're all there, right? Without reading things into it that aren't there, you'll find these. I mean, just look at you know, Psalm 22, for example. It describes crucifixion without crucifixion having been invented at the time, right? David wrote that a thousand years before Jesus and hundreds of years before the detestable practice of crucifixion was imagined in the mind of some, you know, some sadistic person. Um, and yet you read those, you know, you read that, that chapter, you can't help but think of the crucifixion of Jesus. And neither could the gospel writers. They, you know, point to it all the time. Um, but, you know, just things like that that you go, wow, this is not, this is not an ordinary book. Um, so yeah, when we just try to when you get back to your original question, then there's kind of not a lot of information about the author or the setting. But you look for those clues. You look for the things that the Holy Spirit is trying to point your mind to. Well. We would be remiss if we didn't touch on David, of course, someone that a lot of us can identify with. We know that he went through and did a lot of things, uh, but yet he was a man after God's own heart. 
what uh, did your research and all this as you dive through the Psalms uh, flesh out even more uh, David and who he is, who he was? Yeah, so David, David's this complicated character because you're right. He gets called a man after God's own heart. I mean, you read his story in you know, historical books, you get this sense that, like, early on, he's, you know, filled with the Lord and, you know, praise for who God is and what God has promised to do. And then, you know, as he kind of develops, he, he hits some some rough patches, right? Most notably, I think people think of the sin of Bathsheba and how he murdered Uriah, her husband. But there are other things, right? You know, he was a terrible father. Apparently, as far as we can tell, he's basically an absentee father, and his kids went kids went nuts. Um, and, you know, there was rape and murder and all kinds of scandal in the palace, and I think, you know, they're a direct result of kind of how David parented. And so he's not, you know, he's not spotless. He's definitely got his sins and his blind spots. Even, you know, when you read the accounts of him, you know, kind of giving his deathbed message to Solomon. He's giving a little list of people to get back at. So these are the people that I'm still mad at. Go kill them for me. Um, so, you know, David's, David's got some heart troubles. But this is the thing about David that I think qualifies him as a man after God's own heart. He understands that no matter how low he gets, either as a result of his own sin or the sin of someone against him, that his only hope is God. He is constantly turning to the Lord in faith and trust. He cries out. I mean, and you read the Psalms, it's dramatic, right? Every, every, it looks, seems like every other Psalm, he's, you know, death surrounds me on all sides, Lord. And you're kind of going, is it really that bad? <laughs> but regardless of whether, whether it was really that bad or not, um, the thing is, he, when he was in trouble, right, no matter what it was, when you look at, you know, Psalm 51, his response to, to Nathan's rebuke when he's, when he's caught and has sinned with Bathsheba and Uriah, you know, it's just this tender pouring out to God as his only hope. And I really think that's what makes us people after God's own heart. It's not that we get it right all the time. It's not that we never trip and fall. It's not that we never, you know, sin. It's just that we know where our hope comes from. We know who our Savior is. We know who is the only one who will never let us go. Um, and so that, I think, you know, qualifies David as somebody not only after God's own heart, um, because, you know, in a certain sense, he's after God's own heart because he chased after it, um, but also because you know, he's somebody that we can look to and go, is, is this someone, is this a companion on my journey of faith? Is this someone that I can connect with and go, as I read his words in the Psalms, but also the accounts of his life. Is this someone that I can relate to in my own struggles and go, well, what did David do here? Oh, he turned to God. What did David do when he, when he was in trouble? He turned to God. What did David do when he fell? He turned to God. And so, you know, I just, I, I, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to be one of those people that starts piling on David as, oh, we shouldn't, we shouldn't consider him, you know, anybody to look up to. He's, you know, he's got his own sins. Yes, he does. But he loves the Lord. He loved the Lord. And he, he constantly returned to him, and we should too. Amen. Amen. Well, John, this has been awesome. Definitely excited to read through. I've skimmed through the book, but I'm going to take it uh, psalm by psalm. I want to be respectful of the time, but also, is there something that we missed that you wanted to share before we wrap up? Um, you know, I would just tell people, like, if this is, um, if this is something that, you know, you're interested in reading through the book of Psalms, my intention here is not to replace the Psalms. I intentionally did not include the text of Scripture here because I want people to have their Bibles with them. Mm. Um, you know, and what I'm offering is oftentimes kind of a nudge in a certain direction, but, you know, I'm, what I'm doing in this book is really nothing that, um, that anybody else can't do. You know, when you come across something that strikes you as odd or weird or, I don't understand what that means, just dig in and, and, and see what's there. Uh, for, you know, uh, consult some commentaries, look up 
look up what some words mean, consult other translations. You're going to be, you're not going to, you know, I don't think you'll be surprised, but you'll find the Holy Spirit speaking to you in those weird places. Because um, that's really what this book is. It's a collection of, these are the weird things in the Psalms that, that we may skim over because we don't know how to handle, but I'm, you know, my hope was to show people that, you know, there are no mistakes. God is there uh, writing every page and he wants us, he wants us to draw near to him through these words. I'm Jimmy Summers from Afternoons with Heart and Humor. Something you may not know about me is I'm really conscious of what I put in my body. So I eat healthy, try to stay as active as possible. That's also why I was so excited when I heard that Dr. Kellum at the Kellum Stem Cell Institute is able to retrieve my own stem cells and place them exactly where I need them most with focused infusions. If you're ready for something more effective and a healthier way to heal, get more information at KellumStemCellInstitute.com. 